This is Matt Osborne. This is Pat King. My name is Martin Armstrong. This is Alex Craner. This is Franco Terrazano, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Wednesday. Hope everybody's week is moving along. Before we get to today's episode, let's get to today's episode sponsors. Blaine and Joy, Stefan, Guardian, Plumbing, and Heating. All you got to do is go back to episode 337. Jeez, that feels like a lifetime ago now, doesn't it? Uh, to find out more about them. They are home of the Guardian Power Station, bringing free electricity to everyone. as reliable off-grid solutions, Alberta, Saskatchewan, and beyond. All you got to do is go to guardianplumbing.ca where you can schedule your next appointment at any time. The Deer and Steer Butchery, butcher shop here in the Lloydminster area. They can get uh, your next animal processed. All you got to do is give them a call, 780-870-8700. And they're also in the market for a uh, butcher. If you're interested in the career of butcher or you maybe have some background in it, reach out today, 780-870-8700. Erickson Agro Incorporated, that's Irma, Alberta, Kenton Tosh Erickson, family farm raising four kids, growing food for their community and this great country. They've teamed up with the podcast. I've mentioned this plenty of times. And uh, if you're... Uh, Interested in having uh, your business uh, team up with the podcast, SMP, just to support? Hey, I think that's pretty cool and uh, um, would love to have you on. So uh, reach out in the show notes, all right? Uh, Jim Spenrath and team over at Three Trees Tap and Kitchen. Of course, they, uh, I, I keep pointing always to their live music, their great food, and their, uh, well, selection on the tap. Um, Two's loves the food. I always think it's cool that they support so many local things, you know. Uh, it. It never goes a week, it seems, that Jim and team over there aren't doing something for the community. So, uh, well, I don't know. It's just uh, super, super cool. Either way, uh, call 780-874-7625. I suggest booking reservations. Don't be like me. Hey, I've, I've maybe, uh, I've maybe uh, made a couple oopses there. Caleb Taves and Renegade Acres. They've given up. A, they bought a spot so that we can promote some things in the area, or maybe across uh, Western Canada. I don't. I don't know. You. T- you tell me. Um, so I've had three different people reach out. So here's the third one. It's Shine Christian Academy. is a homeschool cooperative located in Streamtown, Alberta, about 20 minutes from Lloydminster. We are a group of parents that see the need for alternative education option. We have been working hard to create a safe and caring environment that provides foundational education in the core subjects. We also strive to incorporate life skills, goal setting, personal responsibility community building, character development, um, tying everything back to biblical scriptures. We offer a curriculum that allows each person, or each child, sorry, to learn at their own pace and ensures that the concept, concepts are learned before continuing on to the next level. Registration is currently open. Uh, for more information, please contact Deanna Franklin, 306-821-2222. Man, twos would be happy with that. Or email shinechristianacademy22 at gmail.com. They also have a Facebook page okay so there's there's a there's a whole bunch a whole bunch on shine christian academy and i have to give um shout outs to uh, caleb taves and renegade acres uh he stepped up and wanted to promote some things around the area i thought that was a super cool idea and so there you have it uh, this week shine christian academy if you're uh, got an event coming up if you got uh something that you think the community needs to hear about it's kind of what we're trying to do there so either way uh Shout out to uh, Caleb Taves and Renegade Acres. Now, let's get on that. Tail of the Tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricant, methanol, and chemicals, delivering to your farm commercial or oil field locations. For more information, visit them at hancockpetroleum.ca. She was one of the lawyers who showed up for the Freedom Convoy. Now, she's representing Carrie Sakamoto. 
a lady suing the CBC along with the health and government agencies of Canada. I'm talking about Eva Chipiak. So buckle up. Here we go. This is Eva Chipiak, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast. Welcome to the Sean Numa Podcast. I have Eva Chipiak uh, joining me today. So thank you, ma'am, for giving me some time. Pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, um, for the audience, they got to go back to October 27th, 2022. So a little under a year ago, and it feels like a lifetime ago, but uh, I, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on it. But that was a, the only time, I believe, that you've been on the podcast. We were talking Public Order Emergency Commission, and that's a mouthful. Anyways, um, and uh, by the time, you know, that episode would come out, uh, it was, I don't know how many weeks after that, you actually got to cross-examine uh, Justin Trudeau. And so I, I guess, you know, I just want to start there for, for a quick hot second because it has been a while since you were on the podcast. Yeah, uh, happy to start there and uh, kind of wrap things up from that Public Order Emergency Commission. Well, how, how are you doing today, Eva? All right. Uh, it does feel like a lifetime ago. I like, feel like I got to reach over and jab you with uh, some adrenaline. Let's get going here. Have a snap, oh no. snap. Let's go. Oh, I don't think you know me that well, Sean, is that <laughs> I'm always going. <laughs> always. So, um, no, it's been, it, it feels like it's been three years packed into one of legal work and things that I got that we were working on or maybe even more so it feels like a long time ago but it was uh, quite an experience the whole commission and then of course having the opportunity to cross-examine Justin Trudeau it's something uh you know like um I, I'd be curious uh, maybe you know this but I like I don't know how many people watched uh mm a day of it, let alone got to sit through the entire thing of it, right? And we're like right in the middle of it. Um, and those experiences, well, they just don't leave you because if you were there or if you watched the entire thing, there's things said, um, uh, things you just can't unsee, I guess, is what I'm, I'm getting at. And you are one of the few people that I know that, uh, you know, played a a small, a big role. I don't, I don't know what the, the size of it, but it doesn't matter. You were there and you got to witness it firsthand. What did you pull out of that experience? And certainly, what did you think of uh, sitting, uh, well, not sitting, standing across from Justin Trudeau? It was really an, uh, an incredible and intense experience. The commission, six weeks it was. It was long. It was nonstop. And it was, um, you know, especially for the role that we played it was really, honestly, very difficult for for lawyers to be able to take on that kind of work. We were nonstop getting a lot of things last minute, incredibly redacted, not even ideal working conditions, I would say, but harsh, you know, um, that you have so much to go through. And it's just such it was such an important thing that it's looking back, it's just too bad that that was how the commission chose to set everything up and that they were okay with the process being like that because we raised objections that there were issues with uh, the fairness and reasonableness of how the documents were being provided and the how witnesses were how how much time we had with witnesses and and things like that so looking back it was a 
great experience to be there, but it would have been nice to have a team of 10 lawyers, 10 communications people to really help make make it into something different. But we did, it, I think we did a great job based on what we were able to do. And it was, you know, when, and this is what I'm hoping to continue to do um, in Canada is continue to raise awareness about how difficult it is to hold the government to account. The government has unlimited almost resources and guess what there are resources uh it's not like they're creating money and when we want to challenge the government it takes a lot of effort and time and money and we have to be prepared for that if we want to win and so that's something that i'm hoping to get more canadians behind us because being reactive to these things is very difficult like that's what we've been kind of doing for the last two years the freedom convoy was beautiful but it was kind of it was very reactive and then the government reacted and then then the commission reacted and everything's been so reactive and we need to be more strategic we need to be more focused we need to be more resourceful in those things in my opinion and and then you know i think we'll be able to create uh more positive change yeah, fair. Uh, you, you're you're talking about, I think, being with strategic, but being proactive and trying to, uh, you know, identify some some different uh, from where you stand. And maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but legal uh, cases that have some grounds and that might be able to sway and gain public uh, public support uh, here in Canada. Is that what led you to? Uh, and I hope I say this right. Carrie Sakamoto is 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 that what led you to her story? Like, or, or how, how is it that, you know, and you can certainly give the audience the, the, the full story of what you're suing, who you're suing, that type of thing. But how is it that Carrie and her story, because I mean, on this podcast now, we've heard, I don't know. And I mean, I don't, I'm not the only one, but there's tons of heartbreak in Canada um, when it comes to uh, what's happened over the last couple of years. What is it about her story that, uh, that you went, this is the one and then maybe just tell the audience exactly what's going on. Right. So I uh, recently launched a lawsuit on behalf of Carrie Sakamoto. Uh, she's an Alberta woman that was severely impacted, negatively affected by the COVID vaccine. Um, and her story, in my view, is really heartbreaking and unique in many ways. Um, as for... Um, and I could get into that as for why um, I'm representing her. It just, that's what happened. And since launching that lawsuit, I've received so many heartbreaking emails and it's hard to read. But, you know, where I feel it's unfortunate is people are coming to lawyers looking for solutions that the government is supposed to be providing. And it's not the role of a lawyer to provide the support that these individuals are looking for after being vaccine injured or being affected by their government in such a negative way. So it's, again, it's a little bit reactive. Um, what I'm hoping to accomplish in all of the work that I do moving forward is my goal is to help raise awareness about issues in Canada with the government and um, 
My screen is going black. I hope that you could see me okay. I can see you okay. okay. Very strange. I can hardly see you now. So I was just playing with it. Sorry, a little bit distracted. <laughs> Whenever this happens to, by the way, that we have weird technical stuff, we always blame CSIS. So hi, CSIS. <laughs> <laughs> they hear me talking about uh, bringing accountability and raising awareness and they don't like it. So, Well, it's, it's funny, you know, you talk about lawyers um, playing the role of, the, of government a bit. And yet I remember, you know, I got to go back. I, she's passed away now, which is, which is uh, something odd for the podcast to have a guest who was on. And I'm actually going to pull it up on the phone real fast. But as I, as I do, um, Carol Crossan was a lawyer in Alberta who passed away. And I remember her telling me, if the, if the, if the government didn't break the law, I wouldn't have a practice. And when, and basically all of her law was going against, you know, government breaking its own rules and doing things, you know, stupidly and everything else. And I'm, I'm butchering it a bit, but, uh, you know, like part of what lawyers have done is help the common man fight and give it a little bit of teeth against the big bad bully of the government. Right. And, uh, Carol Cross and I, I just knew her in passing a little bit and she was a constitutional lawyer and that's exact that is you know that's of course the role of constitutional lawyers is that uh, the government has enacted something that seems unreasonable or illegal and that then the lawyers are coming in to uh, question whether that law was implemented correctly and justifiably in all, all the criteria that's one thing, because yes, we should always be holding our government to account in that way. And I do hope Canadians get a little bit more, uh, start questioning things and even, yes, becoming more litigious. Our neighbors to the south are way more litigious and we have courts and lawyers for a reason. There's no reason to say, oh, I don't want to get involved. Uh, I, uh, this not appropriate for me to do. That's quite the opposite. There's, and again, we're paying for the courts. We're paying for all of it. So we might as well utilize it. Um, and then in respect to what I was saying about support, and in, in this case, yes, the, the, the goal is to show and hold the government to account in Kerry's case, 100%. But where it's a little bit different than, you know, Carol Crossan in a constitutional practice is that this isn't just a law that was offside or the government went a little bit too far. This is about harms that were committed because of vac a vaccine message and mandates and uh, approval process in Canada. And there were harms that were caused on people as a result. And in this case, it's a vaccine injured person. And like I said, there's so many of those. That's a little bit different than just a law is overreaching or it can't be justified. This is a harm was committed. And we're suggesting that that harm is because of the government actions and breaches they've committed that somebody's life has been altered and they have physical and psychological damages as a result. So I could get into the lawsuit maybe a little bit and might be a good time to talk about it. Sure. And just before you do that, I wanted to point out to the listeners, if they're wondering, we keep mentioning Carol Cross, and it was episode 210, mm -hmm. and it was back October 11th, 2021. So that's that's a... That's a long time ago. Um, regardless, sorry, uh, 
to interrupt no. Eva. Uh, carry on. And actually, you bring me to a good point, too, is that um, with any constitutional challenge, there often when I was doing that work earlier, people always asked, uh, can we do it a class action? Or can I be involved in the lawsuit? And that's great. However, it only takes one person in a constitutional challenge to set a precedent, because if a law is found to be unconstitutional, illegal or unjustified, it's unjustified for all Canadians or provincially if it's a provincial law. So to add, you know, a a hundred thousand clients or make it a class action or a hundred people, it just makes it a little bit more complicated, quite a bit more complicated actually for the court, for the judges, for the lawyers to be able to assess it all. So that's one thing I wanted to say about that. And then with this lawsuit, you know, if we could set a precedent, then that's going to be beneficial to all Canadians. So that's one uh, message that I'm hoping to share with Canadians just in advance, that it takes one case, one precedent to affect everyone in Canada. And so Carrie Sakamoto, 47-year-old vaccine-injured mother, files $10.5 million lawsuit against the government and the CBC for misinformation and negligence about COVID-19 vaccines. So that's, that's what... Uh, um, the, the conversation uh, topic of today is that's that's uh, um, exactly what you're doing. Uh, where does it, well, I, I don't know. I, I actually there's probably more to it than what I just read off. Um, is, I don't even know what where to go. Eva, is it like this is like three year thing, five year thing? Are you even going to get close? Because if you can prove. Uh, this out like I mean it opens the door for thousands upon thousands of Canadians to walk in and pillage uh, the CBC the government etc um, I don't know yeah lead us through it yeah so definitely and I'm just going to take some notes so that I uh, get um, the questions in that you asked um, but Certainly, this could set a precedent, and this is why uh, we're doing what we're doing. Uh, this is about holding the government to account for, again, their actions and breaches. So first, I just wanted to say that Carrie was supposed to join. She just isn't feeling very well today, and uh, generally, she would give a an overview of her experience what exactly had happened and hopefully we could come back on the show when she's feeling better and she can explain that because I will get into why that's important and why she's doing what she's doing as well. So in terms of the lawsuit, um, like you said, it's a, a large lawsuit against the federal government and some of the agents there, public health officials particularly. AHS, so that's the Alberta Health Services, the uh, Regional Health Authority in Alberta, and the CBC. And one of the main claims that we've made is that the federal government and the Minister of Health federally approved these vac COVID vaccines in Canada. And what many Canadians I don't think appreciate is that normally when you approve a therapeutic drug in Canada, it has to be safe and effective and you know that would make sense um that's the purpose of having these regulatory bodies for the covid19 vaccine they removed the requirement that the covid vaccine be either safe or effective so i don't 
think many Canadians know that number one. Is that because of emergency use? So there was an interim order, but what they did is they put in a different test and that test was that there had to be more uh, benefit than there is harm of the vaccine. But what we're asking the court and what is in the statement of claim is how do you know that the COVID-19 vaccine is more beneficial than it is harmful if you're not measuring for safety or effectiveness? It becomes a circular argument. It's subjective. So how how is it approved and remains on the market once issues are identified so that's a big thing and then so it's been approved without it being required to be safe or effective or under the same criteria but i'm sure you remember and all your viewers remember what was the messaging from the public health officials from the cbc from all of the health authorities safe and effective Safe and effective. Yes. So are these agents, and that's the question we're putting to the court, can they go around, especially public health agents, during a time of when people were incredibly vulnerable, put in a lot of trust into the public health officials, and then they went around Canada telling everyone it's safe and effective when the approval process wasn't even required to have that? So do we just wash our hands of this? Do we let it go? Or do we ask whether this was correct? Do we ask that these public health officials in these roles of authority, do they have, do they have to be held to account? And that's what we're asking the government, uh, the court, excuse me. What's the time frame on something like this? Right. Um, and there are a couple other parts to the lawsuit that we could get into. No, no, I'm sure. Uh, you know what? Pin, I bounce around and everybody knows this. Um, pin the time frame. Get to the other parts of the lawsuit, please. And then I'll, and then I'll bug you about time frame. I'm just, you know, me, I always want things to move fast. And I know uh, the yeah. world of government and law and other things moves in my world a little too slow. But hey, what other parts uh, um, do you have in this as well? Yeah, so one of the parts that is really important too, and and that's why it's always nice to have Carrie share her story, is that a big component of it is the suppression from the media about vaccine injured people. So Carrie is a lovely woman and went through a heartbreaking time where her life was at risk. And she said, after she left the hospital, she's like, it's, I made it my mission to tell people in Canada to help explain what happened. So doctors know, because it's also novel, everything she's experiencing, they didn't know what was going on. And so she's like, I, I, she reached out to all of the mainstream media outlets in Canada, and they all shut her down. So and she'll, she says this all the time, they keep calling my life misinformation. And you can't, you, you can't do that to people. No, it's, it's pure insanity is what it is. And once again, on this side, uh, you know, it, it's we've talked to uh, several different people <laughs> that have had some tough goes in, in this realm. And uh, 
the fact that nobody will touch them is, you know, well, and here, I, I actually wrote down what was in was in the press release, you know, in the fall of 2021 and into early 2022, Kerry reached out to many Canadian mainstream media networks, including CBC, to tell them her story so they would uh, could share the impacts of adverse events from the COVID vaccines with the public medical doctor. She was advised that they could not report on information that negatively reported on the COVID vaccines. And I mean, that's something that's come to light. I believe it's with Blacklock's reporter uh, specifically to that, how if it was viewed as negative, they took, you know, they they wanted to make sure that the, the vaccine rollout had no negative impact, that it didn't affect the public to look on it negatively. And so, you know, they suppressed stories. This is, you know, folks, this is why Sean sitting here is so angry at other media outlets that are the main ones that are getting our tax dollars to do this to ourselves. We're, we're funding the thing that's, that's, the, that's blocking us out from all the information that we all wanted or desperately needed at that point in time. Exactly. So that's another component of the lawsuit. And we allege that there was misfeasance, so an abuse of public office, because not only was that information known, but they suppressed it, they censored it. And these are questions we need answered as Canadians. Is that right for these officials to be doing that, to be essentially manipulating uh, citizens in that way? And these are the questions we're asking the government. So going back to Carrie's, why Carrie too is she, like I said, is made it a mission to help people understand and she was shut down. So that is a big component. She really is a very strong woman uh, going through what she did and then even wanting to take it upon herself to, you know, help relay that message to Canadians because she wanted to help. Well, I, I look at what you're trying to do, Eva, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but you are going up against a juggernaut. And um, when you're when you have your, you know, your, you know, Carrie, she has to be, I don't know if airtight is the right uh, wording on it, but like she can't have any holes in the story. Like she had like it has to be so and picture perfect folks is the complete opposite of what I want to say. But that's the only thing that comes to mind because when you're going up against the juggernaut, they're going to try and twist and turn and slow down the process and everything else. So her t- her story has to be airtight, and and that means it in the worst possible way for what we're talking about. Well, you know, it's funny because I've been representing some amazing yet in how they've been labeled some people over the last two years, but all we've shared with them is you have nothing to hide. You keep telling your story. Be honest. Be truthful because that is their life story. Um, In Carrie's case, it's a little bit different because she actually has, and it's so unfortunate to say, and and here is that brain damage. And so her memory is bad. So we'll have to have a lot of experts helping her through that process. But I I suspect she's going to say many things that were incorrect, but that's her story. That's her life right now. And it's really hard you know, for her and her family to be going through. That's not my biggest concern because we can get support. My concern is that these government agents are going to, and this is where we're going to get into how long this case is going to take, is are they going to try to wash their hands of it, get out of it? Because the first thing they're going to say, especially somebody like the CBC who's a defendant, is 
We never told Carrie to get the vaccine, nor did we inject Carrie with the vaccine. We have nothing to do with this lawsuit. That likely will be one of our first challenges, but that's not the only factor of this lawsuit. I hate the CBC. <laughs> you know, when, it, when, when, you, when you say things like that, Eva, I'm sure it riles up the entire audience, but it's like, you know, the amount of uh, the amount of coercion that happened with not only the CBC but a whole bunch of different uh, media agencies was insanity back then. You know, I was looking through your document and I was just like, it almost unnerves me to to hear the different campaign mottos. You know, the safe and effective. Obviously, we all heard a ton of that. We are in it together. This is our first shot. First vaccine is the best vaccine. Mix and match after, you know, the AstraZeneca debacle, you know, as all these countries started pulling it and you could see it, but Canada wouldn't pull it and they finally do. And then they're like, just get the next one. It's not a big deal. And you're like, well, where's the journalism to, to, to show that? Where's the evidence? Can we get to the bottom of this? You know, shot of hope campaign, trust the science. You know, it just goes on and on and on and on. And, um, oh, my, my anger is going to get the best of me this morning. But I, I mean, like, I just, when I hear that out of uh, CBC, well, we didn't do anything. It's like, yeah, I actually just heard a politician tell me that behind closed doors. Well, I didn't really do anything. That's right. You didn't do anything. Isn't that the first truth statement out of a politician's mouth? Anyways, I'm going on a side tangent. Um, I apologize. But, you know, it's things like this where, where I hear, um, you know, that it's, uh, you know, you're trying to keep the conversation going. You're trying to force the government's hand and the uphill battle you face. Um, you know, I, my hat's off to, to, to people trying because, I mean, obviously, should we just whitewash it away and, and act like it never happened? No. A woman's life, many a person's life has been drastically altered. And if uh, they don't talk about it and try and stand up for their, their rights and uh, personal freedoms here in this country, they all disappear awfully quick. Yeah. And, uh, you know, just reading those hashtags and uh, slogans again, every time it gets me. And we have a team of people that have helped to pull up the messages again, because we're all quick to forget. And uh, so the one fella that was doing it, he's like, I need to take a break. It's it was just so much and so heavy. And then I just happened to come up uh, upon a clip. I don't know how, but it was a Alberta Health Services representative. And he said, don't just walk to get your vaccine. Run. It's like, is that okay? Should, should we, we should be questioning whether all of this is okay. Well, they, and that's what this lawsuit is part. Yeah. Uh, the media reinforced the well this is just my own my own thought uh the media reinforced the politicians the health officials etc cetera, etc cetera. um it was this like kind of like weird uh you know they're almost eating themselves you know in, in a way they, they reinforced everything uh media said they were doing the right thing so they believe they're doing the right thing so race and get your shot and it's not a big deal and we never did anything harmful to anybody and then there's a whole bunch of people that you know, lost jobs, lost livelihoods, et cetera, et cetera. There was people who went out and got it and then got like, you know, crazy side effects. Certainly death in there is a part. 
But I, I mean, I, I remember, uh, and oh, man, that's a long time ago, folks. Um, Conrad, uh, and I'm forgetting his name. He was a fishing guide, Adam Conrad. No, there it is. Adam Conrad was a fishing guide out of uh, Saskatchewan. And he'd gotten uh, Pfizer and then had been raced to the hospital. I can't remember if it was three or four different times to have be shocked. He had to go for surgery, like, because of how bad it just messed him up, you know? And at that time, nobody, well, you, you can't tell that it was the shot. And you're like, are you people insane? Like, we are actively suppressing people's stories in Canada. Once again, Eva, you're getting me off on a sidetrack here because I, I, I get fired up when I when I think back to it. You know, when you talk about a guy doing some research for you and being like, oh, I just need a break. You know, last year I had a comedy show just so we could have a break, just so we could laugh a little bit. Man, it's it's tough to walk back through some of the some of the, the things that were done and said and then to have no to just distance, you know, like a, as a government agency will, you know, it's just like how oh, we didn't do anything wrong. There was nothing there, you know, I, I get that they can't admit guilt because if they do that, it's over awfully quick and they're going to be advised otherwise. But it's uh, there's a lot of human lives that uh, have stood in the balance and, and uh, you know, that's that's really tough to hear. I don't want to get under your skin more, but <laughs> I feel like I should share this part. Um, when I was preparing the lawsuit, I obviously looked at the statutes, the laws that are enacted that um, the health minister has to abide by and the CBC. So the CBC is regulated by the Canadian Broadcasting Act. And so I looked at what's required by the CBC and other um, uh, media outlets that are, and you know, I don't know, I don't know, like, are you regulated by the Canadian Broadcasting Act? No, okay, so they are. Um, and, I was looking at what duties and responsibilities they have and they don't have an obligation under law to provide accurate information. They do, Sean, have a requirement to be inclusive. Just thought I, I you know. I'm, I'm scrolling through the document because I read that this morning. I'm like, what? And I had to read it like three times. Where it says "do not." Do you remember what part of the what number that was, uh, Eva? I should have. I should have. I should have. Yeah, um, it would have been earlier. So right after the facts, um, legal duty, public duty, statutory duty, something like that. It's it's funny because I, I I literally read it this morning. I'm like, what? Like what? Yes, yes. And and this is why you don't see too many lawyers jumping up right now because under law. They don't have a requirement, but so if you, when you when you, you talk to go to court, I just want to say you could sure. go to court and ask, especially in provincial court, the court to address things like this. So they can create torts of misrepresentation or misinformation. Um, you can't do that in federal court. Have you been warned by other lawyers not to take the like? Just basically, like Eva, you're 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 you're. You're running into a brick wall. Why would you do this? Like, have you had conversations like that with different lawyers, or nobody really, uh, nobody's really worried about you? I'll pass. <laughs> you can't do that, can you? I can. Uh, interesting. Uh, interesting. So I just take that. Okay, fair enough. Uh, that's interesting. You know, I my own my own. I always joke with Leighton Gray. You know. 
because he, me and him, will get talking, and I say, "Ah, you lawyers." And he always, I got, I got such a a, a rough taste in my mouth with lawyers in the middle of COVID, because I, w- I was told over and over again by a bunch of different lawyers, you know, like, "Ah, no, there's nothing wrong happening here," and um, that really, really bothered me. I was like, "Where, where are the lawyers who?" who like can't see what the heck is going on. Now, obviously there's a whole bunch of you out there. I don't mean to say that it's everyone, but uh, certainly there's a, a healthy majority of lawyers who like, ah, the letter of the law says it's fine. This is fine. Everything's fine. And I'm like, I'm sitting in a burning building and we're all going, it's fine. And the people who got the fire extinguisher, at least in my brain, are all going, oh yeah, you can't do anything with it anyways. Don't worry about it. It doesn't work. And um, I was very, very shocked. So, uh, I'm just curious because you know you're you're a lady who's put her head up uh, a couple different times, and now you certainly are all over again. Well, what I can say about that is, it is ri- very risky, professionally, financially, to be doing these things. And I can say, after the last making myself more known publicly, you get some love, but you also get so much hate. And it really is hard. Um, So it's not a comfortable position to be in. I think lots of people would prefer to keep their heads down. This is not something I woke up one day or uh, this has been my life mission to do this. Oh, I want to become a famous lawyer. Quite the opposite. I never had any intention of anything like this. But I felt you know, with the convoy and other things, people just weren't stepping up. And I was, I thought a more sophisticated, more reputable, more experienced lawyer would do something, but they didn't. When you talk about the amount of like hate thrown your way, um, what are they upset about? Oh, it depends who you ask. (laughs) Are you talking about online hate, like just people online? Oh, yeah. So, and that's something I've said uh, so many times is if we were living in the same reality as online messages and vitriol, there would be street fights on every corner of every street. And that's not reality. And I particularly don't find that helpful or exemplary from our elected officials. So I think that uh, that needs to change. But the way that people are engaging, adults are engaging online is terrible. I I act like a a school teacher sometimes. I'm like, can you please behave like adults? Thank you. uh, Certainly, if you're talking group chats, I've seen it there. Um, but when, as soon as you just done like the public forum of social media, I don't even know who I'm interacting with anymore. So I actually don't even read it. And I'm not saying I, I, I get, uh, trolled or whatever else that much. I could, or I couldn't, I couldn't tell you cause I really don't care. I post things and then I just, I, I just leave it alone. Like I don't, I haven't read, you know, in the middle of COVID Eva, you could probably have a feel for this. When, when I went from talking hockey to talking to doctors, lawyers, professors, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you can imagine there was some outrage in there because there was. And eventually you just went, ah, fuck, whatever. I'd, I don't know. What am I, I going to do? Right? Like, what, what, what can I do? You go get mad on, on social media and, and life will move on. And the social media itself is um, a very, very unique, powerful tool. But to get caught up and uh, worry about all the comments in there when they won't say 99% of it to your face, 
it ain't worth my time. Like it, it just, it just isn't. And, uh, and yet, you know, some people make their living or their life or, or get their, uh, you know, get their joys out of absolutely attacking people out of, uh, you know, there's a whole bunch of different, uh, creative ways to just elicit emotion out of people. And I just never, under, I've never understood. I just, I just don't. So, um, I would, uh, suggest don't look at all the, the crap they're saying about you. Cause I mean, when you're standing up to, if not the mob here, certainly the giant machine that is government that certainly is not going to want to admit any wrongdoing or any fault. Um, you're in for a tough, tough task. That might be understating it a bit. And what you were talking about with a thing that might annoy me is this is what I'd read this morning. It was government age. This is from your document. Government agencies, including public health, regional health authorities, publicly funded healthcare providers, and the national public broadcaster do not have a legal duty to protect the health and safety of the public, provide the public with fair, accurate, and independent information, or act in the best interest of, of the public. That's why you face such a giant mountain. And as I read that, I'm like, like, think about that. <laughs> the CBC, the National Public Broadcaster does not have to a legal duty to protect the health and safety of the public. Uh, you're like, okay, provide the public with fair, accurate, and independent information? Really? And act in the best interest of the public? What? Isn't that journalism? Isn't journalism supposed to be in the best interest of the public? Hey, I stand. For the government. Right? Like, so that's what you're up against. Yeah. And so going back to the lawyers and the risk, uh, I am taking the risk. I am willing to stand up because I think it's so important. But I think if we, and I think I started with this, could be a bit more strategic and coordinated. And there's more of us than there are them in government. If we could get behind a message, I I believe more lawyers will stand up, but we have to work together. We have to be more united. And I I don't know if I'm seeing that right now. Um, it where, you know, when I go to some events and things like that, there's so many people that are giving up and or don't know what to do or how to do it. But yeah, we have to stay engaged. That's the only way democracy works. If we engage and we've been incredibly apathetic for a long time and we have to be more engaged now rather than less. And one thing I could, couldn't even believe to show you how people are already being apathetic is I just found out that in Alberta, there were less people that voted in this recent election than the last one. I think what's, if I, if I go my own from where I sit, Eva. One of the hardest things to get my brain around is kind of what I, I alluded to earlier is, um, you know, I want things to move fast. I remember telling, like, think about this. This will, this will make, maybe it won't make you chuckle. Maybe it'll show how sad Sean was back at the start. I interviewed Julie Panessi around episode, like, 200. So this is, like, the beginning of Sean going down this rabbit hole that he's never come out of. And I'm sitting there, and I'm going to her. So, Julie, you know, you just lost your job. Uh, you know, ethics professor, you know, like, so how long are we in this for? Like three months, six months? And the look on her face of like, uh, no, like decades. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh, right. And even then, I don't know if I truly believed her. Uh, honestly, like we're talking, we're talking um, 2021, right? 
we're in 2023 now, and certainly we've removed out of the lockdowns and everything else, but there's a lot of insanity going on. Uh, but yeah, well, go back to the, sorry. One thing I'll just, I, I heard this story and I think it's just appropriate given what you said is um, in the United States, because lots of people too are like, oh, the laws are, charters garbage and laws are garbage and lawyers sure. are garbage. <laughs> um, <laughs> sure, some of them with all of those might be. Um, but in the United States, uh, and I don't recall the fella's name, but it was a black man that went to the Supreme Court um, about segregation and he was dismissed. A hundred years later, under the same constitution, Rosa Parks' case changed everything. So you could see law does take time. I, I anticipate in these days, given social media and the ability to message, it wouldn't take that long and we're not in that kind of situation. But that's what some people have to appreciate too, is it does take time. Nothing changed in, in that case that I just mentioned in the United States. It was the same constitution. It was the same issue of segregation and a hundred years later it was addressed. Um, I, again, I don't expect it to take that long especially if we unite, especially if we work together, especially if we pull our resources, because the government does have just so much more resources than one individual has, for example. Yeah, well, the, the ability to cause change right now, you know, just take a look at Elon Musk buying Twitter mm -hmm. and the ability to all of a sudden see a whole bunch of stuff that was being suppressed for so long, right, is pretty evident. You have to have the right individual get behind it. Helps when it's the richest person on the planet or one of them. Uh, but, I mean, I think, you know, when you talk about people giving up, a, a friend of mine um, after Ottawa, it's probably summer of 22, is, is I, I would say, you know, a few months after Ottawa, he was really depressed because people were giving up back then. And I kept telling him, I don't think people are giving up. I think people are taking a breather. They're mm -hmm. taking a much needed breather because they have been fighting with every last ounce of strength they have. You know, and the, the, the truth of the matter is, is I think a lot of us just need to get our brains wrapped around that it's going to take time and effort. And it's not a hundred yard dash. It is, it is anything but that. But that's the joys of life, you know, and uh, David Parker would say, you know, uh, politics is not a spectator sport. You have to get involved, get involved. Mm -hmm. And if you get involved, things can slowly change over time and they will. But if you don't get involved, then things are going to slowly change over time and they will. And it won't go the way that you want it to. It will actually go worse and worse. And then it will take more and more time to get out of the said hole that we keep digging ourselves into. Mm-hmm. Very much. Yeah. I, we just need to be more engaged. And so I'm trying, I'm trying to do that. Not obviously with this lawsuit, but in general, like j I just took it upon myself to start a podcast about politic, like issues, political issues and understanding, you know, the relationships of different government uh, agencies and jurisdictions federally versus provincially mm -hmm. so much confusion and municipally as well and mm -hmm. and legal rights so that people just are more empowered to understand um, and then I've launched also uh, a new 
organization called Empowered Canadians, which is that's exactly the goal is to help Canadians understand and appreciate and be able to be active participants in democracy. I just heard so many people like when I started to message and talk about the cases we were in, so many people were thankful for the information I was providing. And there was almost a desperation in um, their responses that, you know, thanks and was looking for somebody to help explain that to me or whatever. And there was just such a need that was um, missing. So I'm hoping that we can help empower Canadians to feel more comfortable and confident in, in the systems that we live in. Speaking of uh, a little bit, uh, like when it comes to knowledge and understanding, like, the, I mean, that's how, you know, um, you can be confident in what you, where you stand and why you stand there. Um, I was reading the, uh, um, now I don't even know, is it, is it the court briefing, the statement? Uh, it shows who the defendants are, the plaintiff, etc. Um, I, 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 once again, I don't know the legal jargon here, Eva, help me out. In this case? Yes. It's a statement of claim in this Thank case. you. And it even says that there, and I just couldn't see it. Can you explain to me, because I, I just don't understand, I don't, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so confused when I, when I first started reading it. It has defendants, and then it has a list of, you know, okay, so I'll read them off. His Majesty the King and Right of Canada, Attorney General of Canada, Minister of Health, uh, Chief Public Health Officer of Canada, Health Canada, Public Health Agency of Canada, National Advisory Committee on Immunization, Dr. Uh, Celia Lorencho, Alberta Health Services, Jane Doe 1, Jane Doe 2, and the uh, Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. I have two questions. One is, why are two of them crossed out? Why is his King Majesty the King and Right of Canada and National Advisory Committee on Immunization, why are they both uh, cancelled out? What, is, what does that mean? So uh, I'll explain what it is, is that we amended the statement of claim. And when you amend a statement of claim in Canada, in Alberta, excuse me, so we filed an original statement of claim that didn't have any, any red marks or uh, crossed sure. out. And then we made some changes so that we amended the statement of claim. And in Alberta, you have to show what those changes are very loudly. Sure. Um, yeah. And um, I would say to the listener, like I'm looking at it and it's very bold. It's in it's in red. It, it pops out. And I'm like, what the heck? is? Anyways. Yeah. Anyways. I, I, I appreciate that not many people understand it. And I guess different jurisdictions don't do it that way. I don't I don't think that's the way it's done in Ontario. And it's called a fresh, um, fresh amended statement to claim or something okay so there's different names but um, here you do it red and you do it underlined or highlighted uh, mm -hmm. or crossed out if you're crossing something out the reason why um we crossed out those two i don't really want to get into um the specifics uh at this time but there was a reason for it and uh those were the changes we made so there's certain people and people have asked why didn't we add more people you know, the list could have been 10 pages long, um, but I think we got the right people as defendants and um, in order to show who, what and how they're accountable. And we'll see from there where it goes. So uh, I guess actually that adds in a question then is, so this is Alberta. So is this a, a lawsuit just against, like, I know it says Canada, Minister of Health, Chief Public Health Officer, Canada. so is this a... Uh, a federal court case, a provincial court case, it doesn't matter. It was just where it was filed. It is a provincial court case. 
and the defendants are federal, some of them are federal agents. So in this case, not all cases can be brought in either provincial or federal court. Um, in this case, I think we could have done both, uh, but it just made more sense. Again, I won't get into all of the reasons, but there are certain cases that could not be brought in Alberta jurisdiction. So there's a list of things that can only be brought in federal court, and they have more to do with only things the federal government deals with, like military and or taxation, I believe. And I, I could be wrong. And let me back up a little bit too. This is probably why not too many lawyers go on podcasts and talk about the law because we don't know everything. I don't know everything. <laughs> um, and I will stand to be corrected. And I am all about learning and growing. That's a very... <laughs> That's a very healthy statement. I interviewed a lot of people through COVID who knew everything. And I, I remember Bruce Party coming on and saying, I, I don't know. And I'm like, well, Bruce, you know how healthy a thing that is to say? Like, I, I appreciate that because, well, to, even to this day, it sticks out, right? Because so many people won't say, I, I don't know. Well, here, I'll ask one other then because I, I, I read it. I'm like, what, what does that mean? You have Jane Doe 1, Jane Doe 2. What, is, what does Jane Doe signify when you have a person... Well, I actually, I, I don't, I don't know. What does Jane Doe one and two mean? So they're described in the facts. And Jane Doe one and Jane Doe two are the individuals who injected Carrie with the vaccines, Ooh. and it's Jane Doe because we don't actually know who they are. Gotcha. Okay. Well, I, I don't want to keep, like, I appreciate you doing this and I appreciate you, you know, letting me slam you with different questions, different thoughts as always. Um, is there anything else you want to make sure that uh, people know about the, uh, about the court case uh, before I let you out of here? Well, I do hope that we could come on and share, can, Carrie can share her story because, like I said, that is part of her goal and mission. And there'll be lots of opportunities, I think, to update so we can do that at another time when she's feeling better. But it, this is going to take a lot of help from Canadians and support. This is, we anticipate, going to be uh, a big challenge uh, with lots of heated, um, you know, exchanges in the law and setting precedents. This is something new. All of COVID, everything that we experienced for the mm -hmm. last three years has been unprecedented. So um, it would be great to have Canadians behind and helping carry through this time and helping resource this so we're uh, helped and supported by a couple organizations empowered canadians is one and also the institute for freedom and justice is a charitable organization so you could get a tax receipt um but yeah that kind that uh, just getting well, canadians behind this what i'll do the government what, what I'll do is um, you can email me or, or shoot me a message with uh, if, if people want to support it. We can put the links in the show notes. That way they just scroll down and if they want to um, uh, support, they can. They can just click on it and away they go. That's nice and easy. Um, you know, I, I guess it brings me, I, I don't know if you if you told me or if I my ears turned off, which is highly probable. Um, did we talk, like, are there key dates coming up that people should be paying attention to or this has just been filed and now we you sit and wait for how long until anything starts to roll? Yes. <laughs> That's the answer. We're sitting and waiting right now. And not surprisingly, um, the defendants... They've all acknowledged the uh, statement of claim, but they've asked for um, an opportunity to review. So 
uh, we've given them that time and we're, we're not going to push it. This is not something that we're taking lightly on, on any side. So, um, but there is no date at this time for any next steps. Okay. Well, I appreciate you uh, hopping on, Eva, and, and doing this. And uh, we'll look forward to some updates here in the future. Thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for tuning in today, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Today's episode has been brought to you by CalRock Industries. With new used and refurbished oil and gas equipment in stock, CalRock is your best bet when it comes to finding equipment that fits your needs, is within your budget, and is ready as soon as you need it. They can even custom manufacture tanks and other equipment for your specific application. They're located here in Lloydminster, but I'm sure they can serve you wherever you are at. All you got to do is go to calrock.ca for more information. I also want to remind people that Patreon uh, just started posting back on it. Uh, we're going to give her a go here for the next six months. So if you want to uh, go down in the show notes, you can click on that. Feel free to support. Don't support. It's behind a paywall. So uh, the money is coming back to the podcast. And we got a little behind the scenes uh, action happening there. So love to see and hear your guys' comments on that. Either way, we'll catch up to you on the next episode.